Cry Malt has been supplying the best ingredients to Australian and New Zealand brewers for 30 years. Their range of malt, hops and yeast is sure to take your beer to the next level. Proud sponsors of Brews News and Beer as a Conversation since the very beginning. Learn more about Cry Malt at www.crymalt.com. part of the plan to put a brewery in but for many years it was just a plan it's 100 acquisition of green beacon no we had a chat with everybody anyone would have seen this coming a mile away you know the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing oh yeah that's super simple and direct question it's always fun to get to speak about beer this is beer is a conversation so of course we're here to talk about beer and I'm here today with Kyle Pearson, founder of Alice Springs Brewing Co. in the Northern Territory, uh, home to the traditional owners that are Runda people. For those who don't know Alice Springs, it was founded in 2018 by Kyle, who was a home brewer and also worked in sales for Carlton United in the Northern Territory and Victoria. For a little brewery in one of Australia's small regions in terms of population, uh, Alice Springs has done some big things in its short life. Uh, it's won some major awards like the Northern Territory Tourism Awards, brought on a brewer from Little Creatures uh, in the form of Jim Ryan, and last year expanded after ordering a 12-heck brew kit. But it hasn't been a walk in the park for the Alice Springs team. Uh, this past year, like with many brewers, has posed some serious challenges for a brewery located in a normally bustling tourist town. Uh, so let's get stuck in. Uh, Kyle, thanks for coming on. No worries, man. Thanks for having me. No worries. How are you doing? Is it toasty in the middle? Uh, it's starting to get cold, so uh, this is the time you've got to find your jumpers wherever you left them last year, so <laughs> I actually found one back in the storeroom that some mice and, uh, made their home, so I've got to buy a new jumper. Um, <laughs> you generally need one. Alice brings <laughs> problems. <laughs> yeah, you generally need one jumper, it'll get you through, maybe one going out jumper. One, one going, oh, like a yeah. like a formal jumper and a casual jumper. All right, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> good to know, good to know. Well, because uh, we're off to the AIBAs. I'm sure many of our listeners uh, will be as well very soon. And I went my first time in, this is totally off track, but I went my first time in 2019. And I've gone from like 25 degree Brisbane heat to like 11 degrees in Melbourne. I nearly died. I was unprepared completely. I have fully acclimatized. I am not okay with anything below fifteen. So yeah. <laughs> I feel your well, pain. I'm, on I'm that. coming down, so I'm going to need a going out jumper for that. So oh, brilliant! Kyle, you wearing uh, yeah. your going out jumper? Oh, I'm excited! Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited. When are you heading? Just down that week, so I'm going to head to the awesome. uh, awards and hang around for some poo stuff. And yeah, it'll be cool. We're doing uh, an event at Miss Moses in Brunswick again, so. Um, we'll make an appearance there and I'll probably go to the football and yeah, do all that stuff you do in Melbourne. <laughs> make it make a full holiday of it. I'm a fan of that. Yeah. Awesome. Catch up with my family, so it'd be good. Yeah, because you're Victoria originally, aren't you, Kyle? I am. I was born in uh, Margaret River actually, but I uh, grew up in Victoria in uh country Victoria for most of my life and uh yeah, I've still got a lot of family down there, so it's always good to go and catch up and Obviously, I haven't done a lot of that with COVID. I've been too scared to go to Victoria. So, um, yeah, fair. Because I think fair. Was, it was on uh, ground zero. So, yeah. <laughs> what yeah. have you had like two cases in the Northern Territory? Uh, not now. Look, I think um, we well and truly got it. So, it's, the first two years of the pandemic were really lucky. Um, 
I think I mentioned this a while ago, uh, you know, we, we sort of missed it. It didn't really come here. And when it did, um, the, the Northern Territory government and health did a good job of shutting it down. Um, so, yeah, when it actually did come, and I think me and my partner Sarah, we came back from Brisbane uh, at the start of this year. I think we were one of the first two people to bring it back with us. Uh, we both had COVID. And from there, it was just like a uh, volcano of uh, COVID lava. And, oh, yeah, everyone. Just because we were talking about that, weren't we? That it was a bit of a delayed reaction, like because they'd been kind of too good at shutting everything down and making sure no one came in and there wasn't that spread that necessarily was in Victoria, New South Wales, and a bit of Queensland. That, you know, it kind of been put the Northern Territory and other states like that in stasis, just two years of just hobbling along fine and then once once everything started to open again it was like pow right in the face this is what everyone's been dealing with the for the past two years now we kind of get it <laughs> and it's horrible yeah absolutely and uh, the flip side of that was i think there was just this real feeling of safety you know here in the territory uh, especially out of springs because we really didn't get it at all like darwin had a few little outbreaks and then people just freaked out like um you know there's a lot of fear in the community and you know the government you know the nt healthy were actively campaigning people to stay home and stay out of venues and uh it it was a you know for for a business especially for us like a business that had done okay for the two years prior um we got the band-aid ripped off in a massive way and you know it was a, a real period of hurt um, for us, because, yeah, people just freaked out and, you know, the, the limited tourists that we did have stopped coming and, yeah, but I, look, I think we're past that now. We're probably going through a bit of a second wave um, now. So, yeah, sort of out and there's quite a few. We've had some staff out with COVID again and it's mm-hmm. just sort of doing the rounds, whatever whatever uh, variants, Latin variants getting around now. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. And But I mean, how has it impacted you as a business? Because I know when we spoke previously, it obviously affected uh, customers coming through the door, but also being able to bring in staff. Yeah, uh, this round of COVID, like for us, um, you know, probably about mid-December to, uh, you know, probably things have only probably gone back to normal the last three or four weeks. So uh, that was the worst period we went through in the whole pandemic so far, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, look, it, it was pretty devastating. And, you know, it was a really hard time in business. And we didn't also see a lot of support this time around. So um, we we really struggled, um, yeah, to, to get through that period. And, you know, I think at the very start of the pandemic, before the government sort of released any assistance, it was a pretty dire time for us as well. Um, However, this time around with no assistance, um, it required, you know, probably a lot more um, of heavy lifting on our end just to survive through to now when the tourists have come back. And as you mentioned, now we have the problem where we're just so short-staffed um, that we're struggling to keep up with with uh, the demand. So it's, um, it's kind of bittersweet, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I caught you on the bar the other week, didn't I? You were like, oh, sorry, Claire, busy. And I thought, what are you up to? <laughs> I'm on yeah, the bar. <laughs> so we, we made the master stroke of buying Monty's Lounge here in Alice Springs uh, 11 weeks before the pandemic. So uh, we got 11 weeks normal trade-in. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and now we're just we're in the same boat. So, you know, not just having one venue that has no staff, we've got two. 
So oh, we're sort of splitting ourselves between two venues and then still trying to, you know, be uh, be parents and <laughs> do everything else you've got to do in your life. It's uh, it's it's taxing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, it's good that things are starting to come back. But there's certainly, um, you know, the backpackers aren't back. And, and for any like Montrose Lounge here in Alice, which has always sort of been a bit of a, a backpacker, um, you know, haunts, it just, we really just noticed that whilst the breweries come back and it's firing, you know, that, that venue isn't. And there's obviously, you know, sectors of the community, just like the business community that, um, especially around tourism, that probably targeted that market. They're just not, they're still not back. So, um, I think there's probably still a little bit of hurt to go there mm-hmm. uh, until we sort of see things come back to normal. Yeah. I heard there was there's been six thousand uh, working holiday visas approved, but only nine thousand. This was a couple of weeks ago, but only nine thousand of those people have landed in the country. So, um, yeah, still a, I think still a bit there to go. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they don't they have a sort of period of time where they have to come into Australia before their visa sort of expires. Um, so hopefully in the next year we might have some more. Yeah, I guess for us too. There's lots of cool shit to see before you uh, head out to Alice Springs. So um, they're going to hang out on Bondi for three months and uh, <laughs> you know. Do all they tick all those boxes before they uh, yeah. have to do the second second the year and they've been in a remote place? Yeah, that's yeah, it. So. Um, so do you have any like how much do you rely on casual staff uh, that are backpackers? Um, or do you have an, a couple of permanent staff, or how does that work? Uh, not much now. So we have um, the brewery here has gone through. You know, me and my partner Sarah doing everything through. We've got I think eighteen staff here now. So. Um, it's quite a big, a big, a big operation. We've got, um, you know, I think probably 15 of that would be hospitality. We've, we've got about two and a half full-time equivalents in the, in the brewery now. So, um, we've had, you know, and it's not a matter of having to rely on locals, but, um, we've had to find locals that, um, you know, were keen to work and then wanted to sort of live up to our standards because we've, we've got some pretty, high standards and probably a bit of reputation for having high standards. So, mm-hmm. um, and given that it's our business and that we're here and we're so involved in it, we're probably, um, whereas probably you could go work at another venue and um, get away with slacking off, it's probably not going to happen here. So yeah. we're going to get nailed by either Sarah or myself, probably Sarah on the on the good cop. Um, <laughs> at least you know off. who does the graft, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just whoever's got the biggest stick. <laughs> Sarah's is bigger than mine, <laughs> but uh, we, and, I mean, as a result, we've got a we've got a really strong team. We don't have a lot of staff turnover. Like people, people come and go, but it's not because they they're unhappy uh, working here at the venue. It's just that you know, being that it's Alice, you know, people come here for a period of time and then it's time to move on. Yeah. Generally, we can you know, once someone comes and works for us, and we know they're the right person, then they stay. And you know, we've had staff, um, you know. Starting in 2018, one staff member just left to continue his journey in Adelaide. I think he went to go work for Pirate Life, um, but he, you know, he was with us for four years, and um, you know, there's some ups and downs in four years. And you know, we went through COVID with him, and you know, um, he did work in the brewery for us and all sorts of stuff. But um, yeah, I think you know, that's probably a strength of our business that we, we sort of managed to find the right people and then retain them as well. So um, our reliance on backpackers, especially now, is probably 
um, is not what it was. Yeah, absolutely. I know you've just got to change and adapt to whatever situation you find yourself in, I guess, um, which uh, you seem to have done very well. Uh, but you mentioned, Carol, that um, you know you hadn't seen the support that you had. we had done as an industry and as a country previously. Um, we obviously didn't have JobKeeper and things like that um, when everything started to reopen. But I know, and thank you very much for this, that you helped um, with the States of Brewing report we did earlier in the year. And the Northern Territory didn't come out looking very good. Was that fair of me? Was I completely Uh, off base with that? Or were you like, yeah, that makes sense? (laughs) I think it was fair. I mean, we don't, I guess... I've met with the Chief Minister of the Northern Territory and the biggest like, message I had to him in the middle of this was, I don't want your support, I just want to trade. But you're not letting me trade. And, you know, you're putting things in place and running campaigns that um, are impeding our trade. So, um, you know, and, and Chris Brown from Beaver up in Darwin and I went and had that meeting with him and, you know, um, I don't think at the time he probably realised how bad things were and I gave him some numbers and, you know, at the time it was grim and, you know, we put our own money, you know, as I'm sure many brewery owners did, um, you know, it's bad enough journey owning a brewery and waking up in a panic in the middle of the night, you know, thinking about your finances sometimes without it, without a pandemic. So, um, you know, but we ended up putting a lot of our own money into prop up the venue. So um, I just don't think that he had an idea of how bad it was, Um and then to go back to the, the report and um, your report, like Chris made a really good point. You know, we, we don't seem to see a lot of support um, from government. You know, there's a high local policy in Northern Territory, but it just doesn't seem to encompass beer. So, or, or um, you know, with the other producers, so the, the spirit guys as well. So, um, you know, Chris made a good point that if, you know, if they were enforcing their biolocal policy with every cent they were giving out to every festival and, you know, every thing else that they were funding, um, you know, we may not have been there with our cap in our hand because, you know, we may have made another, you know, whatever, 100 grand or whatever it might have been that would have got us through that period. But, um, you know, and I, mean, I remember going to the Tourism Awards in Canberra when we won that Tourism Awards and, you know, we went there and it was, you know, Capital and Ben spoke and, you know, they were just, it, there was no other... You know, there's no multinational brewery there. They just did such a good job of promoting um, their breweries and even their distilleries and, and even just food and, you know, craft, you know, just craft in general. So um, then you go to our tourism awards and you're drinking ultra-bland um, beer-flavored water from big breweries. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think that, you know, there's a, there's a ways to go for them. And, you know, we're very small here and I'm making that point, but the good thing in your report that highlights is, you know, per capita, we're probably actually not that far behind a couple of the other jurisdictions. So, um, yeah, I just think it's probably just a change of mindset. And, you know, I think the territory is going to talk in the talk, but sometimes we're not that good at walking the walk. And um, it's probably people like myself and, you know, One Mile have been, you know, they, they've been on on, the, on their case for years. And, um, you know, I think we probably just all need to get together and, and sort of um, drive that home a bit harder. So hopefully they... Uh, they start listening. I mean, we've been to the local advocate here as well, um, which is, it's, he sort of seems to think his hands are a bit tired. So it's, it's a bit of a battle um, to get recognised and also with the dollars that some of the big breweries are throwing around for some of these events, it's probably not viable for us to chase them either. Mm-hmm. And I do think that's a really interesting, it seems a bit of a contradiction in some ways because the Northern Territory seems to do well in terms of 
um, waving the flag for the territory, especially in terms of tourism. But it seems very narrow in its focus, that tourism side of things. I don't necessarily know that they maybe look at food and Bev as 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 important as other aspects like landscape tours things like that is that would you would you say that's fair uh i think we've received some support in the past it just i, I it's, it seems to be hot when it's hot and it's fire in the month and then it, we're back to walking trails and whatever else we can write but um i i guess i said it before like we are very good at talking and talking but we don't especially when it comes to supporting producers we're not really walking the walk and as i said i've seen it in canberra and um, in other places, you know, there's other states and territories doing it well, so um, there's no reason why we can't do it well here. Yeah, yeah, Exa- there, exactly. There are examples out there that they can follow if they choose to, but I guess, you know, it is up to us to fly the flag, but that in itself could be hard. Like, you're running a business, you don't necessarily have time to <laughs> lobby government. Even um, for the states of brewing, I tried to get in contact with a number of ministers, local memory type people, and it was an absolute nightmare. They either didn't respond or you had to go through three different layers of people to get to them. And I just thought, this is the Northern Territory. Why is this such a struggle? But I'm an, technically an outsider, I guess. Um, so maybe they're not as interested as they would be for someone in the territory. I don't know. Um, it just is, it's a really interesting ecosystem up there that uh, I'm, I've always been intrigued about. Speaking of, as a Northern Territory brewer, and this is just maybe more general, because I asked Lauren at Moo Brew, um, obviously they're in Tasmania, what are the specific issues that you have as a brewery in the Northern Territory? What are the biggest challenges? Like, I always assume that distance is the big one. Yeah, freight is probably one of the first ones that springs to mind, and especially for us now that we've sort of gone from a probably essentially a brew pub into we're sort of dabbling into the production side of things and sending um, stock out of state, and, you know, interstate up to Darwin and then, you know, as far as Brisbane and um, Adelaide and, you know, down to Melbourne at different times, um, freight is massive, um, especially given the temperature here. So you're talking, you know, 40s, mid-40s in summer and we need to refrigerate the beer as well. So sometimes it's hard, you know, to get things where you need to get them and it's also very expensive as well. Um, you know, every can that we fill comes up from Adelaide. Um, so, you know, it has to do that extra 1,500 Ks, um, labels, you know, every, everything that we do, uh, there's there's another sort of freight element to it. So um, that's certainly difficult. Uh, you know, and there's a lot of social issues here uh, in the Northern Territory as well that don't necessarily probably make it out of the media here and, and into the national news. So we're sort of facing some crime issues here. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been broken into quite a few times. We still don't have any front doors. On the oh, okay. Kyle, didn't you tell me it was like once every two weeks or something like that over a two-year period? Oh, I'm probably exaggerating now, yeah, but it was a lot. No, that's, you're not. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, no. <laughs> it was about that, was it? To, yeah, we have two venues. So, you know, it once a month at each venue. So it's probably once every yeah. two weeks. Uh, and then we go through periods, it's all right. And then uh, we go through periods where, you know, sometimes twice in one night, so... Um, you know, it's a it's a com- really complex issue here in Northern Territory. And I went to a meeting recently with some guys and girls that you know, quite like long term residents, pe- you know, people that have been in business very successful, uh, and just not an answer among us. So, 
We're probably gonna have long enough on your podcast to, to go into it. Um, but it's just, it's, you know, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's sometimes it's, it's a challenging, you know, with everything that's going on with, with pandemics and everything else, and then you're also getting broken into, and there seems to be some, or well, there is out of control crime. Um, it's, it's, can be tough. Uh, it can be tough to keep a smile on your face, I suppose. Yeah. And do you feel that the, like, the police have done enough on this one, or is it just something that you just have to live with? Like, are we going to have to just accept this forever? Uh, I mean, that goes back to how do you fix it? Yeah. I mean, the police can, it's just cat and mouse, and the police uh, yeah. <laughs> catch people and lock them up and they get let out, and, you know, and then, the, I mean, you've got to go back to what the root cause of the crime is, like, they're not necessarily doing this because they're bad people like I was a I was a pretty bad kid um but, you know, <laughs> I, I can't had, imagine that Kyle uh well I had a healthy fear of you know <laughs> going going to get sent to Tarana what it's called juvie <laughs> oh god and, uh, uh you know yeah I, I don't know I think there's a there was a healthy fear of getting your lights punched out back in the day <laughs> yeah now. I'd say that's and very healthy violence isn't the answer but I think there's obviously been a change in in society the way we do things, and mm-hmm. we probably haven't worked out. You know, there's definitely some good things that come out of it, some really good things, but I just don't think we've quite worked out how to handle discipline in all of that, and you know, how and discipline in a way, not necessarily violence or something like that, but how does it? How do you speak to kids to get to get them to work it out? Because you've got to work it out for yourself. And I didn't work things out. It took me until I was about 25, I think, to work things out for myself. So, um, <laughs> you know, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a hard one. And as I said, I certainly don't profess to have the answers, but um, it's not much fun being a victim of it as yeah, well. Yeah. So. But like you say, it's, it's a fundamental and deeply rooted issue that – as a as a brewing industry, we aren't going to be able to tackle at least on our own, um, and not not that we should either. But you know, it does tie into lots of like wider. Maybe the Northern Territory is like uh, like a microscope version of this, but we are in the in an industry where uh, alcohol is controlled. It's a controlled substance. It can be harmful to people. It can cause terrible things to go on in people's lives as well and I think we always need to be cognizant of that like and that's why things like alcohol advertising is so important and we witter on about it on the podcast all the time um but in just in the northern territory it just seems even more intense uh on that kind of thing so it must be hard uh, as a as a business in that area to to balance all these things in one go I, d- I don't know how you do it I don't know how you do it yeah I think and even like in the beginning of the brewery it was a consideration you know I used to work for one of the big breweries who had one of the big brands that was sort of at the forefront, you know, it was used every time there was a negative article in the newspaper, be it locally or nationally, that brand of beer was on the, you know, there was the empty green cans all over the ground. And, you know, it was certainly a consideration for us when we started the brewery that, you know, we don't want to be seen to be adding to this problem and then it's not, it's not what this, this, you know, it's, it was never our intention. And, you know, we've got kids and, you know, my partner works in 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 health, so we, we certainly don't want to see people being hurt by a product or using it the wrong way. And um, you know, but it's a hard one. And uh, I guess you know, you throw you throw your beers out into the out into the open and hope people would enjoy them responsibly. But there's always going to be that element, you know, um, you know, be it a, a easy drinking lager or a, a massive IPA. Like there's always that risk that someone's going to 
<laughs> take that product and, and use it in a way that you probably don't want. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I guess for us that we, you know, you've just got to move forward within the hope that that, you know, that's um, not what people are going to do. And if they are, then there's the resources available to those people that they can get help and, you know, um, try and move away from uh, using alcohol as a crutch because, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a very, it's also very competition and, how long does your podcast <laughs> <laughs> I know, and we'll end up wittering on because we always do. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess going back to the original question then, um, if you could ask for anything at all from the state government, what would you ask for? Just general support. I, 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 exactly, and I think it just goes back to that, what I said before about how, you know, Brownie from Beaver just says, look, we'll just... just give us a seat at the table. We're not asking to lock anyone out. Um, you know, I don't know what um, multinational tax minimising breweries have to worry about a couple of, you know, or three or four little breweries in the Northern Territory. But, um, you know, yeah, we just, we just want to be have a seat at the table. And, um, you know, especially if there's a bi-local policy around government funding uh, that extends to pretty much everything except for beer, um, you know, that's probably that's probably not right. So that, I mean, that's probably the biggest thing at the moment. Without having spoken with the guys today, but I think they would all agree. Like that's a, that would be a massive thing for us as an industry, um, and yeah, and a, a massive thing for the Northern Territory as well. Because mm-hmm. as I said, I see other jurisdictions do it really well, and, and Canberra um, was an example. Uh, that's time I went to the awards, so yeah, uh, it can be done. Absolutely. Um- and I always like find it really lovely that you guys all team up. Um, but it must be hard for Alice Springs to be so collegiate and joined up with other breweries in the territory and the rest of Australia when you're so far away. Do you find that distance um, almost uh, alienating? Is that not maybe not the right word? I think, yeah, I think so. We're probably I think we're three kilometres closer to Adelaide than we are Darwin. So um, <laughs> we've and you know we have we've got help from you know we've teamed up with breweries in Darwin. And we've you know, um, Frank and Karina at Branson Pony helped us when we're first starting up um, to do different things. So uh, I think you know the, the distance is there, but there's also just such a good sense of community and um, a good sense of, of help. Um, you know, most of the gear, we've, we've expanded our brewery and all of the gear that we've got rid of has gone to Darwin and expanded other people's breweries up there. So, um, yeah, we are, I don't know whether the most, I think Masso's reckon they're the most remote, but I've looked on a map and I reckon we might be either. Um, <laughs> trademark pen, trademark pen. Trademark pen, so yeah. <laughs> about that, but, um, yeah, we could be, you know, and it's funny, I, I, um, yeah, we, I've, just through uh, different things that you talk to people from other breweries and it's, I, I find it funny sometimes that people haven't heard of us because, um, you know, there's people in Alice Springs, I'm pretty sure I haven't heard of us. So uh, <laughs> it's funny that people in other states and thousands of kilometres away have heard of us and you know, send us photos of our beers and, you know, off topic, but we got a, a, a letter from the WA container deposit scheme saying, oh, you need to... Uh, register for picking <laughs> your cans. Well, I've never even sent. Yeah, what are you talking about? Over there, I think I've sent two kegs there in four years. So, um, <laughs> but, yeah. It's so they're over there somewhere. Someone's brought them over. Into WA somehow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Smuggling no across the border like a legal but contraband. That's, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I think what it is, Carl, is that you underestimate Alice Springs Brewing Co. as a brand. You know, you've you've got the clout of Alice Springs behind you as well. Everybody knows. 
where that is. Um, and it's just inevitable that you have a brewery there. Where would else would you want a brewery except in the middle of a desert? Um, but um, so on that note then, like you've kept, not to yourself necessarily, like as we say, we, we're all well aware. We know, we know who Kyle is. But what's the plan? Would you want to go nationwide ever? Or are you happy where you are in the Northern Territory? Or what are your plans for world domination effectively? Yeah, I think that it starts at home and there's probably a lot of avenues in the Territory that we, we get to explore and, you know, we're, I've just actually come off the canning line this morning. I think it's still going out. Um, you know, we've gone from doing one day a canning week to two to a week. And, you know, now we're looking at doing a third day a week. It used to be me uh, and Brian, our, our first brewer and one of the founders in the brewery. And, you know, now we've got Jim in there full time. He's got a full time brewing assistant. Um, I think, you know, managing growth is harder than starting a brewery. And, Someone smart told me that I can't remember who it was, but um, it's it's really hard to grow, especially out of state, especially with those freight chillers we're talking about. So I think for us, we need to maximise what we do here in the territory first, and that's sort of our focus at the moment. Um, yeah, before you sort of go branch out into other states, because you know you're looking at you know setting stuff refrigerated. I mean, the problem with that plan is is that um, we're just such a uh, you know hot and cold. Uh, economy here with, with the tourism so and especially if we have another year as bad with tourism as we did um, at the start of of uh, this year it's going it to sort of makes that very hard to to hang on so um, but yeah look we somehow we just keep expanding we just bought more tanks I don't know why we did uh, we did <laughs> we need them. that's why we did but <laughs> um, I think yeah I, I, look I I'm sort of cautious and cautiously optimistic about the next couple of years. I think, um, you know, once some national tourists start to come back, I think things will be good. I'm a little bit worried about interest rates, especially that rise yesterday. I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, I can see that being bad for the Indian industry. With, you know, we're talking about, you know, in two years it's gone up five, even more, just gone up, you know, five, six hundred or a thousand bucks a month. What that's going to do to people's disposable income and, we had this conversation in the brewery this morning about um, we're actually just canning our first seasonal IPA today, and so well, how many people are going to have people are going to go back to drinking, um, you know, cheap bland beer because they're not going to have the disposable income to, you know, spend that extra money on a um, on a uh, you know souped up IPA? Like, is that, is that what's going to happen? Um, so I think that's probably a bit of a watch out. Uh, but yeah, look, um, you know, going back to the original question, I think for us it's just about maximising what we do in the territory and. Um, just being smart about where we go into state. So we're doing quite well in Brisbane at the moment. We've got a little distributor over there and he's, you know, we're coming over for a beer dinner actually uh, mid this month. So um, certainly we're not discounting going into state. It's just a lot easier to stay, stay at home and, and grow the bread here. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, completely. Um, well, that, and that's the other thing as well. So last time we spoke for an article, it was when you were expanding. So tell me a little bit about um, the history of your expansion. When you decided to get your second venue, expand your brewery, what prompted that? Because it was in the middle of COVID. Yeah, so to go back to the start, the start was going to be we're going to have this venue, we're going to have a little brown master, 500 little kit, smack out 10, 11 kegs at a time. Um, I was going to keep my desk job which was nice and cushy and had lots of perks. Um, you know, and it was supposed to be very easy. I, I think we got to like three months in and people were just 
pounding us and going, what open more days a week and what your beer and um <laughs> Good yeah, problem to have, I suppose. Like, oh, piss off. <laughs> but nah, we nah, we it just it, it sort of ballooned quick and, and you know, the traffic loss was a great way to start and I'd probably recommend it to anyone um, whilst labour intensive it's a good way to start small and test your market. Um but we we pretty quickly um, we had to go and buy a second kettle for the Browmaster. And about that same time, once I came up for sale, we thought, well, this is a really good idea. We can actually produce some wholesale volume and start pushing it out through Monty's, which, uh, which was the case. Um, and then it did it well. And then obviously COVID happened and there was a bit of a bit of a blip. And uh, we got to a turning point. We just, you know, we just kept, the demand just kept outstripping our ability, you know, probably physically and personally and also in their equipment. Um, and it kept happening fast. And, you know, I, I sort of got to a, a turning point, you know, a, a fork in the road. And one way was that, you know, we probably just stuck where we were and just kept continued on with the Browmaster and probably just realised it. Um, you know, and, and we could have done that quite comfortably. It was a sort of a sweet spot in our journey. We were actually doing quite well and making money and all that sort of stuff. Or, or we went down the other road and, just took it as far as it would go and you know for some reason I you know I turned right instead of left and we <laughs> we made the decision to bring on a brewer um, to buy a new kit um, and go from I think we started with uh, three 625 litre tanks and you know, now we've got seven 15 litre tanks and we've got more tanks coming and we've got bright tanks and the, the 12 litre kit that we bought so I go. It's kind of addictive, and it's and it's and it's it is rewarding, I suppose, for me personally to hit these milestones and continue on. Because I, I started with a business plan that was um, when I read back on it now, I'm just like this bloke's off his head. I must have been drinking when I wrote it. Um, just, <laughs> Only way to bold, write a business plan. <laughs> yeah, it was some very bold, um, very bold uh, milestones in there. It was about expansion and when I did it at the time I was just like oh you know sure this, you know it's probably isn't going to happen we'll just get the brewery going and then we'll probably say it that you know we'll trade it on the weekends and do one brew a week and mm-hmm. just you know live happily ever after but it's funny that we've actually ticked off a lot of the milestones that we I set out in that business plan um you know we, we keep achieving them which is kind of scary but I, I kind of <laughs> stopped about now so I think we'll have to write another business plan because um <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> a few more beverages in you first, please, before I want the next yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, it does well for you. Yeah. No, I, I, people, I hear a lot, you know, often you know, it's important to have an end game. You know, I, I just don't know what that is anymore. And I don't think, you know, being being where we are, you know, there's never that going to be that bolter or stone wood situation for a brewery in Alice Springs. And I think, and, you know, it's just that journey of existence. You've you know, really got to care about what you do to go to the effort. To actually make all this happen, and it's yeah. um, you know, and it, at times it's thankless, and it, there's challenges here. And as I said, like you know, on top of COVID, we had break-ins, and um, you know, we're short-staffed, and you know, we work seven days a week, and sometimes we work eighteen hour days, and um, go through periods of doing that for weeks at a time, sometimes as well. So it's not a, it's not a um, ultra profitable, easy business to do, yeah. um, but it's certainly I find it rewarding. Um, you know, and I, I, you know, I'm pretty proud of where we've got to. Um, as I said, I need to write the next phase of the business plan because, um, you know, 
there's, there's, you know, there is probably uh, a lot of avenues we could go down um, with the Alice Springs brand, just given, you know, I think it's probably quite exportable. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, people know Alice Springs and know where Uluru is and know the Northern Territory. So um, I think uh, the beer, there's no question about our beer quality now is there. It's just about how we actually go about going to that next step and, and what that looks like. Yeah, and always a tricky one, that one. Like you say, growing is the hardest bit sometimes. Um, what direction do you want to go in? And that can be a pivotal thing as well. You've got to really take into account what's going on in the market, consumer trends, where you think things are going to go, and then stuff like excise and interest rates and lots of this macroeconomic stuff that you might never have thought you even would have to care about, especially when you were in your nice cushy job <laughs> beforehand. Um, yeah. But any advice then for, for brewers starting out? What would you say? Oh, I think it's just probably looking at beware. We probably had a go- there was probably a golden year thing happening in the last five years, I think. And you know, we I think the market was a lot more forgiving than what it was. Certainly, not was here because you know we we learned by doing a lot of the time. So um, we're certainly a lot better at it now. You know, especially having someone like Jim on board with his background with with little creatures, and you know, we, we've invested probably nearly 100 grand in lab equipment now. Um, so, we, you know, there's a lot of like, oh, we think it's good and we think the quality is good to now we know it is. So, um, and when people are starting out, you just don't have the budget most of the time to go and, you know, spend 100 grand there on par to get all these machines that tell you, you know, tell you things that um, are really quite hard to, to know without this machine. So, um, I think, yeah, I think if you're going to do it, you need to back yourself uh, and make sure you've got the right people and the right background. Um, you know, what's been so important for us is our hospitality business. And my, my background is hospitality. Like, I did work sales for CUB, but I've worked in, in and around pubs my whole life. Um, you know, and out of, the, out of our turnover, you know, 80% of that, 90% of that comes from our hospitality business or, you know, the, the money anyway. So mm-hmm. that sort of funded us to do the cool stuff and, and have expansion and things like that. So uh, I just would have a strong plan and just be very aware that um, there may be some tough times ahead and, you know, it's um, it, yeah, probably separate the good from the bad operators, I think. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and, I mean, setting up a second venue anyway, so are they just tell me a little bit about them both. They're both um, open to the public and all within or, like, on brand. Is that what they're like? No, so Alice Springs um we started off, we had 120 capacity. We've mm-hmm. taken over the whole building we're in now, so we're oh, about, okay. uh, we're probably closer to 500 capacity in our outdoor areas. Um, and yeah, we only, we've trained four days a week here, so five days a week, and it's flat out. Uh, Monster's Lounge is a bit of an Alice Springs sort of institution. Uh, Mulga, who started it, it's got another venue, a couple of venues up in Darwin now. Um, it's got, yeah, Lola's Pagola and, um, Babylon and Bethel Venus, they're all really good venues. And, and Mulga sort of in a time where everyone here is drinking, um, you know, four weeks until he's new, brought little creatures into town and, um, you know, really started to push that craft, um, craft angle when no, when no one else did. And, you know, Alice Springs is quite a ritual craft market because we get a bit of cooler weather here and, you know, people are into bigger beers down here, whereas Darwin's always sort of been about, uh, well, stinking hot, basically, so that's what you can drink when it's stinking hot. But um, yep. that's not to say that craft isn't doing well up there now, but it just took a lot longer to go up there. But, um, yeah, the Monty's, Monty's is a pretty funky sort of loose venue. 
Um, we only showed that four days a week. But, yeah, it's um, <laughs> when it's even, it's, it sells a lot of beer and, and a lot of good beer. So we, we get sort of beer in from all over all over Australia through there, uh, not just our own beer. Um, but it was just, and our beer is definitely strong there. It's number one sellers. And I think, you know, if you know Alice Springs Geography, we're sort of out of town a little bit. When I say out of town, we're like six, um, you know, probably six or seven kilometres from the CBD, but um, that might as well be a hundred. You know, in Alice, we don't like to drive fast unless we're driving to Adelaide. So people shit. Yeah, yeah, it's too far to drive. It's six kilometres. When we first started out here, people said, oh, you'll never get people to go through the gap because there's a little gap in the middle of the town or the bottom end of the town oh, yeah. where we're on the other side of it. It's like a psychological barrier. You only go through there if you're going to the airport. Um, but we've, we've managed to change people's mindsets a bit, um, and then yeah, um, but yeah, we don't like to we don't like to go too far around here. So. <laughs> yeah, I think that might be like a a hot area of Australia type thing. Because I'm pretty sure the Queenslanders are a bit like that as well. Um, <laughs> uh, now, one thing that um, has struck me, and I've been really looking closely at recently, is um, being a parent in the brewing industry and having to juggle that with the crazy shifts and the hospo and the events. And I know that you mentioned Sarah, um, your partner, you, st- and you launched Alice Springs with her, didn't you? Yeah, we did. And we don't have trust here. So my kids live in Adelaide mm-hmm. um, and they're up here on school holidays. But it's quite, my time with my kids is quite important to me. I only sort of, of get, you know, 12, 16 weeks, weeks out of the year with them. So, I sort of try and stack as much into the into the off, you know, yeah. into the on time, so I get to spend as much time with them in the off times. But I mean, they've just gone home, um, started this week, and you know, the pressures are under with staff at the moment. Um, we, you know, we didn't really get to spend a lot of time out of work with them. But I guess the flip side of that is my kids love working like they would pour you a beer if I'd let them. Um, <laughs> so my, Don't tell APAC. <laughs> uh, I have to tell them to get uh, – well, there's actually in the Northern Territory in the licensing a publican's child can work behind the bar. So, what? Uh, I, mean, I don't know how that got through. But, That's no, yeah, we have to tell them, we have to tell them to get out of the way because they're, they're – um, They just want to get you know, stuck they're, in. They're, yeah. Oh, they just want to help. They just want to be part of it. And I, I joke to Chris from being a rider, look at this car, I can see life and I'll hate beer, but because uh, everywhere, every time we go on a holiday, I make sure, you know, I drag us along to the inevitable brewery in town, it's the first place you have to go, and yeah. then we go, go do fun stuff, but um, yeah, my, my kids seem to love it, they don't like beer, they think it stinks, but... Um, <laughs> Good, we'll keep it that way for a little bit longer, um, that'll be yeah, great. <laughs> yeah. But as soon as they turn 18 though, that'll be okay. Um, yeah, but no, yeah. it, but it must be hard, like juggling everything, juggling being a parent while they're here. Like, I just don't know how you do it. I am a non-parent, so I, I'm even, I can barely survive as I am, um, let alone with small people to look after <laughs> as well. Um, so yeah, that, that is just a really interesting, crazy one for me, but obviously you didn't have the brew when they were, um, just born and things like that. I imagine that would have been an absolute nightmare. Uh, yeah, no, so yeah, it was probably um, in the hours that were required at the start it would have been very difficult mm-hmm. um, if they if they were here and being as young as they were. And, but I mean, people do it, and I've heard on your podcasts and read about other people with young kids. They do it, um, and yeah, I think you just, you've got to make it a bit of a family thing. Like it's hard being an alcohol business and 
involving your kids. But, um, you know, we're, as, as I said before, like 90% of what we do is food and beverage. So yep. my kids would be picking up plates and annoying the, annoying the cooks in the kitchen and <laughs> make, making pizzas with Nutella on them. Nutella on Oh, yeah. great. <laughs> Yeah, so <laughs> that's excellent. I'll find stuff to do that's not alcohol. Oh, excellent. We like to hear it. Um, and I think that's all part and parcel of this piece on diversity and skill shortages. So I obviously you've seen it from from your perspective, and that's probably a little um bit niche. But I know the whole industry is sort of hurting uh, from the lack of skills in lots of different areas. And you know we need to find a way to make our businesses more attractive to people um so whether that is good parental leave or whatever or just being more welcoming and uh just yeah. all yeah. these things and i don't know how to how do you juggle all of that as a business owner we've sort of gone from we were quite and i said we've probably got some exacting standards but we've gone changed our strategy a bit where we probably don't look for people well i mean there's all the people's experience around so it makes it easy but we're happy to take people with the right attitude and train them and um, oh, someone up here said to me a while ago, you know, like, uh, what's, what's the worst that could happen is, you, you know, you don't train some, you train someone and they leave or you don't train someone and they stay. So, um, you know, we, <laughs> we, we have sort of, we've got a lot of people that work for us now that didn't have any backgrounds, um, in hospitality, uh, you know, and brewing as well. You know, Sean, our brewer, is obviously highly skilled, but we took on, uh, Michael, our assistant, you know, he's a he's a pharmacist, so um, mm-hmm. but just had a keen interest in brewing, wanted to learn, and had, you know, done quite a bit of home brewing, and you know, now he can run our new kit on his own and, and pump out good beer. So, um, yeah, I think it's just a, I'm just gonna have to think about things a bit differently, and you know, just probably take the time, you know, to train people. And you know, I often when when I first started in bar bar work, I, I lied my way into my first bar job. I didn't know. <laughs> How to make a bourbon and coke. That's the first thing I got off. <laughs> oh my <laughs> god, what did you do? Uh, did you make it up? Next oh, year. good. Oh, that's <laughs> okay. But, but I knew how to pour a beer. So, but I mean, you know, it was, it was it was tough to get into hospitality. You know, even ten years ago, and you know, you had to be good. And I think some of the standards have probably fallen away a bit. And I think it's probably up to the people that, that were trained in that era and know that there's a better way to do it to start passing some of those skills on and make sure people know how to pour beers and you know, keep venues clean. And, and look, I'm not, certainly not here preaching that we get that right all the time, and um, especially when you're really short and um, you, you are lacking a bit of skill. It's hard to maintain that, but I, I, I just think, you know, there's people that do hospitality as sort of while they're in uni and all that, and I think that's sort of what it's kind of been relegated to. But it is, hospitality is a career, and, um, you know, we need to get back to training people to make to make it their career and, you know, to have standards and, not just be something you go and do that's easy while you're studying to be a lawyer or mm-hmm. or whatever else. Yeah. Yep, definitely. And that's just a huge piece that I know everyone's looking at. Um, and I won't grill you on the IBA's roadmap that they released last week, but I do think that it raised some really interesting things um, across a huge, huge array of topics. The one thing I always find interesting to ask is um, about independence. Uh, so what does it mean to you and is that a thing for you? Is that do you care about independence uh, and and why? I wouldn't say I don't care about independence. But I I think that being good at what you do is probably more important, mm-hmm. and that's probably has come first. Um, yeah, it's good to be proud to be independent, and we certainly are proud to be independent. Um, I've worked, you know, 
I've worked in the industry my whole life. I spent time with CUB and that taught me a lot of the things that I'm now putting into being good at being independent. So I guess I can see both sides of the coin. Um, you know, and yeah, I mean, you can't win them all. And I think, um, you know, Kendo, Steve Jensen said to me, you, know, like, you, know, you might not like the beer that some of these big guys are making, but it's, te- it's technically excellent. So they're not, they're pretty good at making beer. So, um, you know, I think it's, you, you've sort of got to, um, sum it up and probably take a step back and take it for what it is. And, you know, I'm on a like great northern, um, as a beer drinker, you know what it's going to taste like from time to time. So, mm-hmm. like every time you have it, it's going to taste the same way and it's, it's going to be inverted commas good. So, um, you know, uh, it's being independent, of, uh, you know, and having the seal on your beer is that, is that a measure of quality? It probably isn't. Um, but, you know, what steps can we take as an industry and as independent brewers to, to make that recognise as a single quality? But, so, uh, as I said, I'm not before, I'm not sort of preaching out. We don't always get it right either, but mm-hmm. um, we've sort of strive, you know, we've, we're striving to get better all the time. We're investing in equipment that helps us know that we're getting better. There's a lot of things as an industry we can be doing to um, improve people's perception of our quality and, you know, and mainly that goes hand in hand with being independent, I suppose. Yep, absolutely. Um, so look into your crystal ball for me, Kyle. What yeah. do you think the industry is going to look like in a few years, five years, ten years? What What are we expecting? Are we going to live on the hazy train forever? Uh, For starters. What's the hazy, what's the hazy train? The hazy train. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my uh, God, Carla. I know you're in Alice Springs, but. <laughs> no, no, we've spent a lot of time trying to get our beers not to be hazy, so. <laughs> um, <laughs> ah, the traditional no. way. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, it's going to come and go. Like, I don't know, that's probably the time I spent in uh, the big breweries. Like, we were making beer that tasted like Coke for a while. Um, <laughs> you know, I've, I've Could seen be anything. come and go, believe me. Yeah, um, but, yeah I think it, it's, it's good, though. Like, it's really good. Like, it's good that cases have come. And, and I'm excited to see what the next thing is. Like, I don't know, um, you know, sours are quite big here and they're probably going to climb it, but it just never burst into the next big thing and I, I think everyone's looking for it and I think that's kind of good because if we're all just making uh, ultra bland three and a half percent lager then it'd be boring as like so mm-hmm. I think um, it, it's good that there's sort of that everyone's striving for that next thing I mean it, it does inevitably produce some weird and wonderful things and you know, we, we've got quite a good craft bottle shop here in town and I'm, you know, they always ask me why I'm not drinking my own beer but you don't drink your own stuff all the time so I'm sort of always <laughs> interested to taste what other people are doing and, and have a look at what other people are doing and yeah it's, it's um you know what they said you know they can't all be zingers so uh, <laughs> sometimes you get some weird and wonderful ones but um you know I'm, I'm excited to see sort of where where it would go and um you know we've spent a lot of time building our craft uh, you know our core range rather than going making a, a weird ipa mm-hmm. every second week so um, and that's worked quite well for us here in the Territory and yeah. you know, who knows, we probably need to start stepping out and being a bit more adventurous as we sort of venture out a bit further. But, um, yeah, look, I, you know, who knows, as I said, I'll make a Coke-flavoured beer that's 15 good. years ago when I was working at the big brewery, so... Um, Anything could happen. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but what about for you guys? So what's happening? I know you haven't done your business plan, but what's happening in the next couple of months for Alice Springs? 
just got to survive. I think we've got to survive this um, <laughs> this, this tourist season. It's hard to be optimistic sometimes just with, with all the challenges and, um, you know, discussions we were having, something with some of the other guys at the start of the year. We're probably a bit better off just going to get a $50,000 a year job, um, <laughs> you know, scrubbing the floor somewhere or something. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I'm sort of I'm optimistic about the future um, for the Territory and for Australia as well, you know, especially the industry. Um, I think, you know, we're getting better at what we do and, you know, the IBA is driving that and they're doing a really good job. Um, you know, I'm on some project things with them and um, as I'm the state leads in the Territory, so I guess have some visibility what they're up to and, you know, we've got good people advocating for the industry, so... Um, yeah, look, I, I'm I'm excited about what's coming up. I don't, you know, as I said, the, the growth thing becomes addictive, but there's still, still going to be it's got to stop somewhere. Surely, I don't know. I need to ask some people about that before I write my business plan. But um, yeah, you know, I, I, for me, I just think, yeah, look, I just want you know, I'm happy with the way things are going and um, just want to continue and yeah, just. Keep having fun. Absolutely. Living the dream. <laughs> Absolutely. Look, Kyle, if anyone can do it, I know that you can. Um, but thank you so much for coming on the Bear is a Conversation podcast. It's been an absolute delight to have you on um, and really appreciate it. And I'll see you at the AIBA shortly. Yeah, no worries, man. Thanks awesome. Much. Cheers. Thanks for listening to that conversation. Now, here's a little bonus for you. As I hear from Lark Distilling's master distiller, Chris Thompson, who tells me a little bit more about Lark's collaboration with brewer Wolf of the Willows. I asked Chris, what is it about this whiskey and beer that really works for him? Firstly, let's start about what's amazing about this collaboration in terms of the liquid. The liquid that we take is completely polished.